A vague disclaimer is no one's friend. This podcast will look at episodes in relation to Buffy and Angel as a whole, and therefore contains spoilers for the entirety of both series. If you haven't seen all of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel the series, go and watch them before you listen to this. Remember, you've been warned. The hardest thing in this world is to live in it. That's why there's us, champions. We live as though the world were as it should be, to show it what it can be. The Earth is definitely doomed. It's Tuesday, so it must be time to return to the Hellmouth. We're going through the Buffyverse episode by episode and a look back at Joss Whedon's iconic show. I'm MC, and I'm here with... This is Andy. And this is David. Today's episode is episode six. It's The Pack. It originally aired April 7th, 1997. It was directed by Bruce Seth Green and written by Matt Keen and Joe Reichenmeyer. Do we ever see them again? Uh, I actually am not sure. I don't. Uh, that doesn't. Does not I don't think sound. so. They are definitely not ringing bells for me. So it looks like they also did Inca Mummy Girl. Oh, okay. Yes, they did the Pack and Inca Mummy Girl. So apparently, they like Xander a lot. Apparently, yes. Xander is cursed. Stories. That's. <laughs> I think those are the only stories that actually exist. Xander is cursed? Yeah. Is there an episode where Xander isn't something horrible happening to him? There are definitely, yeah, his stuff, terrible stuff does happen to him. Uh, He does get... I mean, probably the closest to one where terrible stuff doesn't happen to him is Zeppo. Mm Mm-hmm, yeah. But still... Well, well, terrible terrible stuff happens, but it comes out okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah, Xander's pretty lucky. The terrible stuff kind of generally comes out okay. Unless it's of his own making. Right. And then I don't care if it doesn't turn out okay. You deserve it. (laughs) I don't like Xander, which is sad because I used to really love Xander and it's just coloring my entire perception of all of it. So Yeah, it's definitely interesting going back to watch now and to see Xander now as a when I am 33 years old and so over his bullshit. <laughs> well, yeah, and just the sort of conversation that's sprung up around agency and the nice guy syndrome and all those things that we really weren't talking about in the 90s in sort of a yeah. detailed way, sort of really. I mean, I would probably still think he was gross even without all that information that I now know about because mm. I'm. At my very advanced age of 42, I would have probably been like, dude, really, kid? Come on. We've talked about Xander and his nice guy syndrome, but I think, especially in this episode, we also have to get into what's going on with Willow and Xander, because, my God, she needs to shit or get off the pot. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that's actually, I have that in my notes. Like, there's always been this sort of, oh, Xander has this thing, uh, Willow has this thing for Xander. But this is, I think, the first episode where they really do something with it more than just having it just be there. Yeah. So this is clearly the first, you know, the, the beginning of, yes, you really, you really need to deal with this. I mean, part of that I can excuse because, yeah, they're 15, they're 16 years old. I think I have a note about some of this stuff Xander really should take responsibility for. But when you don't have the emotional maturity to do that, it can be difficult. And probably the same holds true of Willow, especially since she's had absolutely no real experience with dating or at this point, boys, because yeah. she's interested in boys at this point. She doesn't have right. any of that experience. So it's, and a lot of the social experience that, say, Buffy has or Cordelia has to be able to, like, manage those feelings in an appropriate way. If you're taking into account how Willow identifies later. I mean, of course, I think that uh, by this point mm-hmm. uh, in society, Willow probably would be identifying as bisexual. It was just in the 90s it was a lot more binary but if you do take her as being just a lesbian it's possible that her feelings for xander and not acting on them are a convenient way to suppress the the sapphic you know desires she has she's like oh well you know 
I, I'm interested in Xander, you know, but I can't do anything about it. So mm-hmm. I read Willow as bisexual also. And one of the reasons is Joss said he didn't want to confuse audiences or all the uproar about the, you know, lesbian death thing that he didn't want to yeah. send her back to men and to fear of feeling insensitive to an audience. But I, I mean, I think she loves Xander. I think she loved Oz. And I think she loved Tara. Yeah. I mean, we will definitely be getting into that a lot more as the seasons progress. But certainly coming up watching this stuff as a teenager who was trying, who actually Allie Hannigan really helped me realize my bisexuality (laughs) and not being able to have that, you know, said actually on the show really kind of, it it ticked me off a little bit. Oh, yeah. Oh, it took me off, too. And I completely get it from the perspective of someone trying to explore those feelings and wanting to see themselves on screen in the world. So, yeah, I feel so this episode starts off in you know, the Sunnydale Zoo, which is apparently also Jurassic Park. If you look at all of their signs. <laughs> it what? <laughs> all of their signs uh, are done in the Jurassic Park font. Oh, I didn't notice that. Huh. Which, if if you huh. think about that, Jurassic Park came out in, what, 93, 94? Something like that? I don't know. I'm not a Jurassic Park person, yeah, so I neither. could know. Uh, if this is supposed to be, like, 96 or 97, then they've just redone all of their signs just to... Just to look like yeah, Jurassic, Jurassic Park, Park came out in 93, so this, it's been out for like three years or so, and they redid their signs to be cool. Though I shouldn't really judge because I'm from a city where they named their basketball team after the fucking Raptors, so. um, We have a baseball team that's named after the Isotopes, or the I- Albuquerque Isotopes, and we actually renamed the team after the team in Springfield on The Simpsons. <laughs> so there you go. So, you know. Makes sense to me, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense to me too. I mean, we're also the place where the atomic bomb was tested right. and invented. So yeah. there's that. But, you know, we're named after the the team in The Simpsons. So the first thing that really comes out in this episode is that... All of the bullies in Sunnydale are complete cardboard cutouts. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And and somehow we've never seen anyone, we've never seen this clique of people before. <laughs> well, we're only five episodes in. Yeah. But so. we also never see them again. Right. No. But yeah, I mean, I was bullied in school and still their bullying of Buffy was just like, what they just randomly walk up to people and shit talk them. This is and and not very well. No, <laughs> no, they're they're really not, just not trying, quite frankly. And also, they're going up to Buffy, who was kicked out of school for burning down a fucking gym, and you're going to taunt her. Like, what is your damage? And they even say it's like, what are you going to do? Like, punch us or something? It's like. Yeah, she kind of has a reputation for that. You really want to bring that up? <laughs> right, well, I, but then when they can't seem to face her, of course, they move on to a weaker person. Well, yes. Yeah. Because they know, they, they obviously see, as they're walking off cackling in their giant Western shirts with huge collars. Sorry, I have lots to say about the fashion of this episode, too, because it's pretty insanely 90s. But they're, you know... They realize they haven't gotten to her, so they're not going to pursue that avenue of bullying, because why bother? I, that's what I took from it. Right. I mean, that's that's actually the most realistic thing about them is bullies. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. that is typical bully behavior. It's like, oh, this person isn't responding. We're not getting the response we want. Let's move on. I was also kind of wondering about their dynamic because it's like, are they two couples? Are they like platonic friends? Like, it's really weird to see like this group of bullies that are, you know, mixed gender. Like, usually you have a group of mean girls or you have a bunch of jerk jocks. It's just so I was trying to figure out like, because I mean, the only time you kind of see them coupling up are when they're possessed, which, you know. 
Yeah, they really give us nothing to work with these. I mean, they're they're not. They really aren't characters. They are their plot devices. They basically act exactly the same when they're possessed as they do in the beginning. Yes, except they sniff things more and do crazy eyes and cannibalism. So. Right? Yes, and cannibal. There's cannibalism. Yeah, we assume they don't do that. No, we assume. I mean, they're maybe like the hipster mean kids. Like if it were now, they would be those hipstery uh, instead of your normal jock bullies or your mean girl bullies. Uh, yeah, I don't quite get them. Yeah, they're, they're basically what bullies would be like if they were preppies to begin with. Yeah. Which really is kind of pathetic. They're really, they're not good bullies. <laughs> they really aren't. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's probably why when they get possessed by a hyena, Xander becomes the alpha. I know, I was wondering about that. I was like, how does Xander become, like, the leader of the pack? Oh, he's the only one who has a personality. Well, in this beginning, uh, we have... Xander goes off to face all of them by himself. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, yes, he's trying to prove something to Buffy and Willow, that, you know, he's, you know, a strong man, but he's willing to help Lance out by himself. Meanwhile, those guys can only function as their little group. And, I mean, you even see that when... With the pack dynamics, they're they only work as a pack. While Xander does go off on his own, so yeah, Xander. I mean, even though it doesn't work with hyenas because hyenas are matriarchal, so there should be a woman in charge. True that, but yeah, Xander takes control because Xander is the only one in his you know regular persona that is able to actually take charge. And also, I'm not saying that he fucked Ian Bailey, but I think he might have. Which one was that? Uh, he was kind of the main... Oh, the dark-haired guy. The dark-haired one, yeah. Mm. Mm. So, odd little story here. Not odd. So I looked up a couple hyena facts. I think we all did. Yes. But the funny thing is, when I looked at... I, I, I googled hyena pack dynamics, and I'm looking through, and it was only about six things down where I started getting fix fan fiction for Xander <laughs> and the pack <laughs> on the very first page of Google um, where I because I, I wanted a little bit more about pack dynamics to see how it would correlate with this episode and yeah about halfway down the page you start getting Xander fan fiction so apparently there isn't a lot of information on Google about pack dynamics I don't know hmm so, you know. Or maybe the algorithm is just taking the word pack. Or the fact that I Google Buffy all the time, maybe. Yeah, that'll do I it. Google, mm. I Google Buffy things quite often. So, anyway. Po- there is polyamorous fan fiction about the pack. Oh, well, if anybody wants me. to search. Yeah. yeah. No, it doesn't surprise me either. Yeah, my, my main problem with the whole hyena facts thing is me being, being <laughs> stupidly detail-oriented. There are... Basically three kinds of hyenas, spotted, striped, and brown. Mm-hmm. And uh, from the little we see of the hyena that they get possessed by, it looks like a brown hyena. So a lot of the behavior they express, they, they exhibit isn't the behavior of brown hyenas. <laughs> it's, they, they, they seem to be basing the entire concept of hyenas on spotted hyenas. Yeah. Like, for instance, like, spotted hyenas are the only ones that typically actually kill their prey. Striped and brown hyenas are more scavengers. The spotted ones are also the ones known as the laughing hyenas. Uh, The other ones apparently do laugh. Uh, The striped ones, at least. I'm not sure about brown. But, uh, But the spotted hyenas have a wide range of sounds that they make, whereas the striped basically laugh and grunt. And I'm not sure about the browns, but but yeah, it it uh, and in fact, when attacked, the spotted hyenas are the ones who will actually initiate a an offense, whereas the striped and brown hyenas will feign death. So they did not do their hyena research. The video that Willow was watching is of African wild dogs, not even hyenas. Right. Oh, and also, she's getting that kind of streaming quality in 1997 on the internet. <laughs> Maybe she checked out a video, a DVD-ROM about hyenas? Maybe? An educational something? That that was my headcanon. 
Back okay. then, you could get like a like an Encarta DVD yeah, or CD. I had one of those. I hadn't thought of that, but yeah. But if it was streaming, that's just like no, <laughs> no, no. But my note was, but that hyena puppet though, huh? Oh yeah, cause that that oh boy. Yeah, I said those hyenas look faker than the ones in The Lion King. (laughs) (laughs) The Broadway production. (laughs) With the giant masks were better looking hyenas than that puppet. Yeah, for sure. To be fair, The Lion King probably has a higher hyena budget. True. Very true. And Whoopi Goldberg. At the very least, like. They didn't have to show the hyenas for very long in this. We only saw them for, what, like, five seconds. Yeah. So I don't yeah. think you're going to pour a lot of money into it. Yeah. So, yeah, hyenas. Yes. <laughs> yes. But, yeah, so was there any thought on anyone's part that the zookeeper isn't a bad guy from, like, the second you see him? No, he, he comes off as, as pretty, you know, sketchy to begin with. He is. He's just like, this, like, okay, this guy's just creepy. There's something wrong with this guy. So it's like, there's no, like, it's not a reveal at the end. (laughs) No, no, he comes off as pretty sketchy, but oh, how sad is it when Giles gets his little feelings disappointed because he thought he'd met someone that liked research and books (laughs) as much as he did. He was so excited. He was making a male friend that loved books and, and it just all got turned on its head and Poor Giles missed out on that. I do feel Instead, bad for he Giles. Got knocked out again. Yeah, he's not oh, sh- good in a fight at this point. Yeah, I, I almost thought yeah, to ask you guys: should we start keeping a Giles <laughs> suffers head trauma count? Okay, yeah, this is the second one because he gets knocked out in the wind. Okay, okay, so this is two. Yes, two blows to the head. I will write that down and then okay. we'll keep track. Because one day he's going to wake up in a coma. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) What do we think this episode is actually saying? Uh, We needed to put an episode on this week. (laughs) Here is something that might frame things really strangely for this entire conversation. This episode was actually on an Australian um, release of Joss Whedon's favorite episodes. Buh? They had an Australian DVD release of Joss Whedon's, like, I think 10 or 20 favorite episodes. And the pack was on it. This is one of his favorite episodes. When did that DVD come out? I'm not sure I can... Because I'm, I'm just wondering if, like, to get 10, he had to choose some sketchy choices. <laughs> right. Was this, like, middle of season three where... Actually, no, I could think of wait 10 way better episodes by then to put on a DVD. Yeah, that's that's really odd. I have no idea what to think about it because for me, yeah, this is... While they were gross moments and I have lots to say about Xander, it's it's actually really kind of a boring episode honestly yeah it really doesn't jump out at you as something where you're like oh yeah this is an episode well yeah i mean or anything more than oh it's an episode yeah i have more to say about the fashion of this episode (laughs) honestly which was either cracking me up or making me covet and want a chartist so i could go back and go clubbing in some of these outfits and i really had to say about i mean i definitely have things to say but you right. know, it took me back visually into fashion mm. more than it. The nostalgia factor, the thing I like about this episode is the cool outfits. For me, I mean, I thought it was an okay episode, but okay. that uh-huh. was it. I mean, actually, in this one, I tolerated Xander a lot more than I have in past episodes just because he wasn't Xander for most of it. Right. Yeah, <laughs> I gave him I, I gave him a bit more of a pass than usual because it's like, oh, you're possessed. Yeah. So, you know. Okay, see, I kind of don't give him a pass. I give him slightly a pass. Uh, The possession aspect brings out things from Xander that were already there. That is true. And that's the one thing I won't give him a pass on. That that is true. Um, I think it just, but he expresses these things in ways that I think regular Xander never would. Oh, no, I don't I don't think he would ever do that. But he's already feeling very entitled to Buffy's affection and her Mm -hmm. attention. He is really pissy about 
her not wanting to date him, Mm -hmm. even though at this point he hasn't even tried to ask her out. Yeah. outright yeah. um and it's just that grossness is being magnified right. some of the stuff with willow he he it goes to show what he says to willow that he knows he is totally aware of willow's feelings for him mm-hmm. and he subtly even when he's not possessed sort of emotionally manipulates her for things like tutoring fine whatever but also for emotional validation yeah. And sympathy and to make him feel better about himself. And I think that was already there. The possession brought it out. So I don't give him as much of a pass. Mm-hmm. I don't think he would have ever basically tried to sexually assault Buffy if he wasn't right. possessed. So that yeah. I will actually stand back and say, yeah, it might be inside him, but he would never. Yeah. Of all the things I would say about Xander, I don't think Xander's ever going to actually physically harm a woman. No. I, I, I think when I say I give him a pass, I, I think on further reflection, I think what I'm saying is I give him a pass on the stuff that's worse than usual. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. Yes. It, it, okay. It's, it's like, the, like at this point, we're, we're six episodes in and it's like, oh yeah, Xander does have some serious issues. But yeah, there's stuff he does here where it's like, oh yeah, no, he would not normally do that. No, no, I absolutely concede that point. He but, he yeah. would not. Yeah. Well, first of all, he knew if he tried anything, Buffy could just yeah that's... punch him, and then he'd wake up in a coma. Right. <laughs> I really do have to give uh, Nikki Brandon credit for his oh, acting yeah. in this episode. Oh yeah, he was fantastic. Um, because there's de- a definite difference between possessed Xander and regular Xander, but it's not so over the top that it's like yes that guy is possessed um um, yeah it 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 is it comes on subtly and and i'm gonna say he's kind of sexy sanders a little sexy yeah 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 yeah, there were some smoldering looks that's why i'm saying yeah i think smoldering fucked ian bailey's character Uh, because they they were smoldering at each other a couple of times they were there was smoldering and his scene with where he's basically dumping Willow yeah, mm-hmm. is fucking heartbreaking. And the it way is. he delivers it, and then he breaks into that hyena laugh and is yeah. like, oh, wow, he this is actually like super good acting. Yeah. I, you know, it's inter- I was thinking about this because throughout the series, all the main characters pretty much will have an opportunity to play against type. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, mm-hmm. we'll have the episode where Buffy and Faith switch bodies and Sarah and, and uh, Eliza get to have to play each other. Uh, yeah. Willow, obviously, will have some very against type moments. And uh, and even Giles. Giles, when we see With when band we, candy. Yes, band candy. Oh. And so but it's so this is really the first instance of something that we will see throughout mm-hmm. the series of one of the one of the major characters playing against type and doing a wonderful job. Mm-hmm. Well, Excellent okay, point, wonderful David. is probably the wrong word in this case, but a, a very good job. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that one of the reasons the series is so successful and has resonated with people for 20 years at this point is because of the casting of this show. Yes. Oh, and yes. again, we complain about David Boreanaz's terrible acting in the first season, oh. but he obviously went to an acting coach and he got better real fast. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I think, yeah, even last time we saw him, he was, he seemed to have improved. And by next episode, he's going to be quite good. And thank God, because if not, that would have been a big problem. <laughs> Yeah, you would have had to reverse a lot of the writing and the planning you had done because you just couldn't keep that character around. But yeah, I mean, I think the casting of the show, it's the writing, it's the plot, it's the metaphor. Mm-hmm. But these, you know, these these actors never got enough credit, I think, mm-hmm. for really putting in yeah. performances that are grounded in emotional reality, even when everything going around where you're possessed by a hyena or you've body switched it's, right there's a lot of realism in those performances and yeah well i'm a, I, i'm reminded of sanford meisner's definition of acting which is basically is the one that i've kind of landed on as the best description i've heard which is behaving truthfully under imaginary circumstances yeah yeah 
I mean, and, and these are extremely imaginary circumstances. And the fact that they can pull this off despite the complete unreality of a lot of the situations speaks incredibly well for the cast. And I think, and I think, yes, they are very underrated. Pe- people o- always underrate actors. They don't really think, oh, they've done like a really good job. Well, and I think they w- w- actors in in sci-fi and fantasy are very much even more underrated because mm-hmm. it's not oh, yes. that showy, you know, Academy Award winning. You know, also in horror movies, there's I've seen some amazing performances better than what won the Academy Award that your performances in genre television and film. Mm -hmm. And we we don't give them credit. And David, I have to say, I kind of love you right now for quoting Meisner. Ah. Um, I'm like, yay. Yeah, no, I mean, the uh, Sanford Meisner on acting is a wonderful book. It's it's, oh, yeah, I I have I have a degree in acting Mm -hmm. before I went back to school to become a social worker so yeah i'm right there with you <laughs> yeah yeah and and really and we were talking you know i was talking with you guys last week about uh kevin klein and michael palin in fish called wanda it's like you know klein got the oscar for having the flashy role which is what people go oh that's great but mm-hmm. palin really does the much in my opinion much more impressive acting job because his character isn't as obviously flashy. It's a very subdued role, but he he portrays it incredibly well. And I think that's true, like what we're saying about genre acting is people don't, it's like, oh, it's genre acting. And it's like, no, it's not just genre acting, it's really good acting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it really is. And again, these are very grounded in reality performances yeah, it's really very charactery. They mm-hmm. each have moments of. I mean, you get when Spike shows up next season. It's very showy, and you can see what they're doing. But then the actor that they've chosen then puts the reality in it. Out of the mm-hmm. core Scoobies, the core four Scoobies, I don't think any of them is the showboat, the look at me, the you know, the out there character. They're all very realistic kids. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. One thing that did come up in this episode that it stuck out to me is I think probably the first time it's happened, it's uh, Willow and Buffy actually getting to sit and have a conversation together without Xander there. I have Mm. notes about that, but yes. And the entire conversation is about boys. Yep. I was going to say, does this pass the Bechdel test? Is this something we should be also taking notes on every episode like well this one did but that one because overall Buffy passes the Bechtel test if people aren't familiar with the Bechtel test it's basically like there's more than two named female characters who have dialogue about something other than men that's the basic Bechtel test for film and television and it is the lowest bar it is the absolute lowest bar that anything could even hope to pass. I think the only thing lower is the sexy lamp test. And that's, can this character be replaced by a sexy lamp? And would anybody <laughs> notice? <laughs> I was not not familiar with that test. <laughs> yeah. And, I, and then I start picturing the leg lamp. Of course, I think we all do. The leg lamp, lamp from Christmas Story is the sexy lamp. Um, cause it is, it's a sexy lamp, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, this episode doesn't pass yeah. the Bechdel test at all because all mm-hmm. conversation between the girls is about boys. Yeah. But I think this is the first time that we've actually like seen them sitting down and talking without Xander being there when it's just kind of the two of them. I can't recall it. Yeah. I don't, I don't remember another instance. I think the very first, co- they didn't really sit down, sit down, but the very first conversation in the pilot where she's like, hey, you seem like a person that knows what's going on here, right, and, you know, yeah. maybe, and, and she's like, aren't you friends with Cordelia? She's like, I can't be both. And she's like, no, not really. That, that is, a, I think, a private conversation. But That's other than true. that, no, we haven't yeah. started to really build, build that role for them that becomes incredibly essential to both of them. Willow is still... Meh? Not much of a character yet. We still haven't mm-hmm. really gotten to delve deep into Willow outside of the fact that 
she's shy and nerdy and has a thing for Xander. Yeah, they haven't developed her yet. Yeah, this is very odd, though, because, like, I remember just loving Willow from the get-go. Oh, just yeah, thinking she was marvelous. But on this rewatch, I'm like, huh, I have no opinion of you at this point. Because I'm trying to come in. Obviously, I have information about yeah. Buffy. But I am trying to at least look at the character development with fresh eyes and not be too colored by what happens later. And yeah, I, I have no real feelings about Willow at this point, except for Allie Hannigan's adorable. Yeah. Actually, this episode is one of the first ones where I've gotten, like, an actual opinion on her. And that is, she's so fucking twee in this episode. It's really kind of annoying. Like, when they're having their conversation about boys, and, you know, she's talking about what Xander's blood pressure is. And later on, she's like, why couldn't Xander be possessed by a puppy or some ducks? And I'm like, oh, my God, just stop. I, is there a reason that these writers never wrote more than two episodes, right? Because they obviously didn't quite get those voices right. Because, not going to lie, Willow can come off as really twee. Hmm. Yeah. And as she develops, I actually, spoiler alert, stop liking her very much. Yeah. But in the first couple seasons, I loved her. And yeah, this, yes, we get a little character development here, but it's not great. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's not I mean, good. It's not great writing of that character. Yeah, she's still on, on the spectrum from plot device to character. She hasn't made it quite out of plot device yet. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like, seriously, how did she survive in Sunnydale being so fucking naive? <laughs> it's like, hey, stranger, I'm going to let you tie my hands together. Oh, wait. Oh, so I going know. To pretend to cut my throat. <laughs> I know. It's like, Willow, what are you doing? I think she's, I think that's like hyper-rationalization at that point. Yeah. I think she's like, I mean, and okay, going with the character as we've seen her in this episode, I think she's sufficiently worried about Xander that she's not quite paying attention to what's going on around her. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying she should be like that or that she will be like that later, but in this episode, that would not be a, a stretch. Just in general, you know, don't let people tie your hands together right. without, like, safe words set up first. <laughs> right. Again, right. Again, we have to realize this is not something that comes up that often, but it's, uh, yeah, it's a good rule. Yeah. Yeah, she's, yeah, I don't quite get Willow yet. At this point. Yeah, I, well, I think there just isn't enough to get yet. Yeah. Except that Allie is is adorable. Is adorable. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. There is no doubt in anybody's mind that Allie Hannigan's adorable. Yes. So. So. But and, uh, speaking of the cutting her throat, it's again, I'm probably being over-technical. You know, all this, the discussion of the predatory act, there never is an actual predatory act. There's intention towards a predatory act, but no predatory act ever occurs. Yeah, there's, it's not a predatory act, it's more an act of aggression that, you know, is kind of aborted. Yeah, I mean, it's like, they're going to throw Lance into the hyena pit, but they don't. He's going to cut Willow's throat, but he never does. And it's like, uh, yeah, I think this whole, like, this whole possession magic thing is not worked out very well so again i I think that's my thing is i think later they will be much better about making the magic stuff make sense and just at this point they're really not (laughs) so i find i find it frustrating (laughs) yeah again we're season one we're finding our feet at this point yeah no i mean i understand why but it's still frustrating uh i also did some uh research on the maasai because Mm -hmm. this is an interesting episode in that they actually, they give a very specific culture that this came from. Yes. It's not like some, like, vaggy kind of, uh, like, this is European or whatever. This is a very specific culture, which has absolutely nothing to do with hyenas or animal possession or anything. I found out that the animal that they actually revere the most is the cow 
because the cow provides nourishment to them. Why couldn't Xander be possessed by a cow? (laughs) (laughs) And also, they do not believe in animal possession. Not only do they not believe in animal possession, they don't believe in any sort of spirit possession. There are lots of other African cultures that do. But they chose one of the few that has no like concept of spiritual possession. So so basically the writers did no research on this episode. No. You know, I am such a Buffy fan. Obviously, I'm doing a podcast. I love it so much. But there have been times in the history of this show where you're like, where did you get that name? Did you do anything to even look up what that is? We'll get to yeah. it when we come to using the word Wicca. Yeah. But yeah, where they use the names of actual cultural things instead of just making one up i mean you're yeah. a fantasy show you don't need to name the Maasai, right you know or you don't need to be as specific and then have it be completely wrong yeah it's it, it it's it's the school of writing where it's like oh it's a recognizable name that no one really knows anything about so we'll just use it and it's like yeah. no don't do that and it becomes super freaking problematic when you're assigning it does. You know, to a culture. It's like, yeah, they have this group of people that, you know, turn into animals and will, you know, practice cannibalism and stuff like that. And here's a picture from Dante's Inferno to show what they do. Oh, yeah. The picture killed me. It was like, uh, what? <laughs> yeah. What does that have to do with anything? I'm. Yeah, the picture is um, by Gustave Doré, and it's an illustration from Dante's Inferno. Lovely. Hyenas figure into Dante's Inferno very importantly, I'm sure. For sure. They're in, like, what circle of hell is that? I don't know, the fluffy circle of hell? <laughs> the, yeah. That, you didn't know, that was, like, the hidden Dante's writing. It's, like, the sequel. Right. Not is, yeah, the, the last sequel, which is the fluffy circles of hell. And there is some suggestion online that the uh, hyena stuff that's in the episode is actually based off of an Ethiopian legend called the Crocata, uh, which is a wolf-like creature which shares a, the scientific name of the spotted hyena and is said to imitate human voices and call out to people. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, they. It, I think they probably did some research, but then it's like, let's make this realistic. And but but then- they didn't do much, because if this was an actual hyena pack, Xander would be getting kicked to the ground, you know, and not be the alpha. And those two girls would be, you know, all up in everything. And yeah, imagine what would have happened if Buffy had gotten possessed by hyenas. That would have been some amazing matriarchal ass kicking mm. and pseudo penises. <laughs> I was wondering if you were going to mention that. Of course, I was going to mention pseudo penises. I was like, how can you not get into an episode about hyenas without mentioning that female hyenas have pseudo penises that actually become erect when they are greeting other hyenas? <laughs> Uh, there's a fanfic that needs to be written. <laughs> yeah, no, and they actually give birth through their pseudo-penises, so 60% of all hyena babies will smother before they actually even get out. So, there are my fun Andy facts about hyena penises. You know, I, I had noticed a, a thing in, when, in my research about uh, male and female hyena genitalia being visually... Uh, similar. I, I did not go into that detail, though. <laughs> I read, like, one article. That's all it was. It was just about... Well, clearly I was reading the wrong article. I... Right, well, and I actually, instead of just Google hyena facts, I wanted to... I Googled the specific words, like, hyena pack dynamics. Mm. So, because I wanted to sort of know about the, the pack dynamic. And some of it is actually kind of what happens in the episode with hierarchy and aggressive behavior and the taking down of mm-hmm. you know prey and things like that but most of it is kind of wrong so uh we get our first death of a real recurring character in this episode so yes uh, we do we should have a little bit of a you know memorial service for principal bob flutie indeed flutie was 
he he had a good heart. <laughs> Flutie's, Flutie's fun. He really is. He's kind of this really fun and effectual, you know, kind of stereotype of the caring teacher that wants to hear about your feelings, but not really. Right. Mm-hmm. He does care, but he's... yeah. He does. And, and in fact, he in this episode, he actually, like, it, it becomes clear that he realizes that he's not necessarily giving them what they need. Yeah, I really do like his line where he's like, of course, when I was your age, I had old guys telling me how much better things were when they were my age. Exactly. It's like, that's a great line. Yeah. I'm sorry you're going to get eaten and, in about two minutes. Yeah, and he, and he's clearly sincere about that. It's not just a platitude. Yeah. It's, it's, he's like, I'm trying, but I know that, you know, I'm just this old guy. <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, I think my friends that are high, uh, that are school counselors would probably tell me very similar things. So that they, they try, but they under, you know, yeah, they're a lot less ineffectual than Flutie. My, my friends that are school social workers are very good at their jobs. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so this is one of those first, the second instance of anybody can die. Because yeah. the first one was obviously Jesse, but he wasn't recurring. And it's, mm-hmm. I think it is setting up that expectation that really not everybody is going to be safe and things could happen and then can we have a eulogy for herbert yes oh Oh, absolutely oh herbert i feel terrible for herbert i do too i I just so much sarah michelle geller was so cute when she was holding that pig i know she's precious like, because I can handle so much gore and violence in my media, no problem at all. But you threaten the life of an animal or hurt an animal, and I'm like, no, mm. no. Yeah, for as much trouble as I give Xander, I actually feel really bad that he has that memory of eating. Oh, yeah, yes. he has the memory of eating a pig alive. I mean, that's yeah. horrific. Uh, so. I think we need to talk about the hyena in the room. And uh, that is the uh, attempted rape scene. Uh, the Just the first time that it's uh, come up on Buffy. And sadly, it is not the last. Mm. Oh, absolutely not. Uh, um, so uh, we've already mentioned earlier in this podcast that, you know, for some of Xander's more extreme uh, actions, uh we don't think that he's entirely culpable, but, um, I mean, there's certainly an element of Xander in there, because he- the The motivations exist, even if the will to act wouldn't have, under other circumstances. Yeah, I said, er- yeah, earlier, it, and I did sort of defend and say, you know, I don't think Xander himself would ever really want to hurt or do these things, nor do I think he actually fantasizes about assaulting people. Well, okay, not women. He like yeah, maybe punch someone in the face, but um, but yeah, some of the bad stuff that's in there and the entitlement and the nice guyness. It yeah, it's exacerbated by his possession. Yeah, I it, it ties to the last couple of episodes I've uh, mentioned. You know, Xander's toxic masculinity and wanting to conquer Buffy, uh, more than actually having an attraction towards her. In that you know. He, you know, there's this strong woman that he feels that, you know, oh, well, I got to be the man and, you know, take over here. And that's kind of just the hyena just brings out this extreme version of it. And unfortunately, in this very violent and problematic way. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, what we know of Xander now and later on looking for it is that he's incredibly attracted to strong women and I think there's a part of him that really, you know, wants to be with strong women, wants to have that sort of liberating experience of not having to have this masculine yuckiness. And not that all masculinity is yucky, but, you know, that toxic masculinity yuckiness and be an equal partner in a relationship. But as a lot of it is ingrained. We know that he does not have the greatest home life and and it's manifested in a lot of a lot of stuff for him. But it's there. It's definitely there inside. Yeah, unfortunately, this is not the last time it's going to come up. But I nope. do have a note on it where it's like, hey, it's the first one. 
Yeah. Uh, yay. Yay. <laughs> uh, the first time that, mm-hmm. It's, it's also, I, I've got a better first. It's the yeah. first time they use the book cage to lock somebody up. Yes, which will happen yes. many, many times. Which will happen many, many times, so. Which is interesting because they rip it apart here. <laughs> that is true. I'm just trying to figure out how they explain it to the school. <laughs> the school's pretty busy with the cannibalized principal. Good, good true, point. true, yeah. Good point. But budget line items like new cage for library is probably not their priority. I was wondering if some of that stuff might get charged to the Watchers Council. Yeah, hmm. that's that's a distinct possibility. And also, they could have said that the wild dogs ran through the library before they that's went to a principal Flutie. Hmm. I don't yeah. know. Now I'm just making stuff up. Yeah. I you know, one thought occurred to me just now about the uh the sexual assault scene. I, I I'd be interested to compare how sexual assault is handled on Buffy to how it's handled on Veronica Mars. Oh. Which is a much later show. And took many cues from Buffy. Yes. It really did. Oh, it did. And there is definitely there are some like major sexual assault uh plot lines there. There are, and they're not always handled with the utmost of care either. Yeah, no. It like, really that, is that is one of the sort of, and I love Veronica Mars. Oh, yeah, like, Veronica do not Mars get me wonderful. wrong. I, I, it's I'd so be interested great. to compare and contrast, though. Yeah, no, that's that's an interesting point. Yeah, I mean, it, but Veronica Mars really is sort of the spiritual successor to Buffy. Yeah. In a lot of ways, yeah, absolutely. And they, you know, they talk about shows that came out that are like Charmed and those things being very Buffy, and they're not nearly as Buffy esque. Veronica Mars is Buffy as a noir without the supernatural yeah. elements. Yeah, yeah, take out the super L, yeah, and you still have like a tiny blonde chick that's awesome. Yeah, and mm-hmm. fighting crime in her own way. Develops her own little Scooby Gang outsiders. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, Joss liked Veronica Mars so much that he made a cameo. Yeah. So, mm. you know. And, you know, you have lots of different crossover. You have both Allie Hannigan and Charisma Carpenter that both show up on Veronica Mars. Mm-hmm. Yep. So now I want to watch Veronica Mars. That's the next podcast. <laughs> oh, shh. <laughs> oh, well, if we're doing that, you have to let me know because I lent out my DVDs. So... <laughs> Yeah, well, we've got a couple of years of this. Yeah, we've got a couple of years. We'll we'll revisit. We'll revisit Veronica Mars at ten years or twenty years (laughs) or something like that. That'll be fun. We'll be in a nursing home all together, (laughs) recording a podcast about Veronica Mars. I said before how I don't really blame Xander for most of the stuff that happens in this episode. There's one thing I do blame Xander for. I think I know where you're going, and that is the very end. The lying about it. The lying about it. Yeah. Xander is not really responsible for anything that happened. It's like, dude, you were possessed by a hyena. But Mm -hmm. he so does not want repercussions that he's not even willing to talk about anything that happened because, well, he's, you know, he's hurt Willow's feelings. He's revealed that he knows that Willow has feelings for him. Mm -hmm. And he's been very open about the fact that he's attracted to Buffy. Yeah. And he just can't deal with any of this stuff at all. So he's like, uh, I can't remember it, you know? And, you know, Giles is a little culpable in that scene, too, because he's like, yeah, I'll take it to my grave. Yeah. You know, he's not gonna narc him out. I I, I mean, Giles probably has an understanding of the mind of a 16-year-old boy that is not emotionally ready to be able to deal with and have an emotionally mature conversation about an attempted sexual assault. So I will give Xander that, you know, I always come from this like psychology, you know, theory perspective when I'm talking about a lot of this stuff, um, because that's kind of where I'm at in my life. So... But it's still, but Xander also is going to have a history of not owning up to actions. Yeah. So this is just the first in a long line of, I'm going to pretend this didn't happen. I'm never going to address it. I'm going to borrow it all inside and just never talk about it. Yeah, I almost don't even think that it has to do with, you know, the sexual assault. Um 
Because, I mean, like, they tell him at the end of the episode how he ate a live pig. Uh, yeah. It all has to do with the fact that, about his, you know, relationship with Buffy and Willow. Mm-hmm. About, you know, all of, you know, him revealing that, you know, he doesn't want to have to deal with the fact that he is outwardly addressed his feelings to Buffy. He doesn't want to address the fact that he's admitted that he knows how Willow feels about him. And I'm trying to I'm trying to actually think when does Xander when does it become common knowledge that Xander knows how Willow feels about him? Oh, I'm that's let me see. Is it not till he starts dating Cordelia? Well, I know that there is a reference to it in Bewitched, Bothered, and Bewildered. Right, but she's already dating Oz, but and she's he's already, already dating Oz, and he's time. already seeing Cordelia. Yeah, I mean that's the only time that I can think of it being like just super, just like stated, which is you know that's like a that's a season from now. So yeah, absolutely. Um, you know Xander also I think doesn't want to have to deal with. People thinking him he's a bad guy. Because who really, honestly, wants people to see them as... So if he can lie and say he doesn't remember any of it, he also doesn't have to deal with them telling him and then telling him he did bad things and feeling bad about them telling him he did bad things and dealing with the consequences of someone not liking you. But then yeah. on the same term, the girls don't get to process any of it that has happened with the person that it happened with they mm-hmm. can process with each other mm-hmm. but they'll they're never going to be able to process that information with xander who's the- i'm taking too many psychology courses apparently mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah i mean my only my only comment is it's like if xander did own up to it i i have no idea how he would have any facility for actually dealing with it mm-hmm. yeah no he doesn't trying to look at it from xander's perspective is like like he's a 16 year old boy it's like this is just something he's doesn't have the tools for at all and so i mean i'm not saying how i wouldn't say how he's handling it is a good thing but i'm not sure how else he in his situation could handle it he will get called out on it in phases because mm-hmm. he decides he be- he's the expert on finding werewolves because yeah. he knows how to get you know in touch with your inner animal and uh buffy says i thought right. you didn't remember anything about that <laughs> right and and you know the thing is though i'd like by that point maybe he would have lived with this long enough that yeah he could he can now deal with it I, I, I mean, I again, we're we're trying to address real world concerns with fictional characters, so true. it's hard That's to true. really say anything definitive. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, this may be the best thing that he can do at this point is right. just to say it didn't happen, and it's yeah, it's kind of gross, it's kind of icky, but I don't know. I'm actually kind of going to defend him here and say, well. Do we really want to watch three episodes of the emotional fallout of Xander's actions in the pack? We don't. We nah, need to move no. on from it. Yeah, we need to move on for it and get to other stories. Yeah, because this about... one wasn't very good. Because right. this one wasn't very right. good. And why do we need to readdress that? Yeah. Yeah. And also, I mean, you know, there's nothing that indicates that he that he he's not living with this and processing it himself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's, or with it's Giles. Not, I, I Huh? Or with Giles, or with you Giles. never know. So, so it's. I, I think he is doing what he can in this at this time in his life. Mm-hmm. Maybe I. Again, you know, who knows? <laughs> I I bet I bet that he will never be able to watch Babe again without feeling really bad. Oh yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh. Oh Herbert. Herbert. Oh. Mm. I liked Herbert. I love Herbert. He gets a very nice little memorial in the uh, Sunnydale High Yearbook. Yeah, I know. I remember. I really need to go dig that thing out because I want to uh, look at just it. Just because I do it every week. Um, uh, there were three songs played in this episode. Uh, we had All You Want by Dashboard Prophets, which was at the bronze when Xander takes over the pack. Mm-hmm. Um, Reluctant Man by Sprung Monkey when Kyle and his br- friends enter the bronze. 
and Job's Eyes by far, and that's for the slow-mo power walk. Yeah, it wasn't the best slow-mo power walk mo- um, montage ever. It's like, you know, kind of a lame one. But uh, yeah. but and we've, seen, we've seen Sprung Monkey and before, right, mm-hmm. on the soundtrack? Yeah, I think we have. Yeah, yes. I think we have too. And there is also a discussion about a band that does not appear, appear to exist when uh, the pack comes to uh, the two guys who are having hot dogs at the bench and yes. they discuss oh, wretched, yes. wretched refuse uh who who do not seem to exist uh although it's a reference to the emma lazarus poem on the statue of liberty so <laughs> and also xander seems to have friends because these guys seem to you know get along with xander. yeah or yeah at least uh, you know i think people probably like xander i'm sure he's not the most popular in that terms of you know, the social hierarchy that Cordelia is part of. But at the same time, obviously, these kind of like stonery, you know, just your regular everyday average high school student, they probably think Xander's hilarious. Xander's yeah. a cute and funny guy. Of course, he's, he's going to have funny, some yeah. like him. Yeah. Yeah. And also, they, they kind of like, they come to him as like a guy who would have an opinion on this thing. And as as the as the person who people used to literally call during Trivial Pursuit games to make sure the cards were right, I I, I, I not that not that I was I didn't have friends, but I definitely had people who would just call. It's like, hey, this this Trivial Pursuit card says this. Is that right? And I would and I would tell them. And it's so they're like, yeah, Xander, what do you think of this guy in this band? And it's like I definitely got that feeling. I, I actually, um, people used to do the same thing to me, David. They would call me, and this is before you could fact check everything on your smartphone. Right. And they'd be like, so who was the name of the actress in The Goonies? Not the redhead. I was like, Martha Plimpton. Her name is Martha Plimpton, and the character's <laughs> name is Death. And they're like, great. We just settled a bar bet because of you. And I'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Can you not call me at 1 o'clock in the morning right. next time? That would be great. Oh, yeah. Um, I, 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 Literally, yeah. when when Trivial Pursuit came out with the Silver Screen Edition, I still have that, and it is still unplayed because n- everyone refused to play it with me. <laughs> I feel bad sometimes when I'm too good at things, and I know I shouldn't, but there have been times where I've gotten way too far ahead in some kind of trivia game yeah. and sort of like threw a question or two, just... Yeah, because people just don't want to play with me, which is why I play pub quiz, because everybody's there to play and compete. So I do not right. have to worry if my 16-year-old niece is going to feel bad that I know everything about movies. Yeah. Yes. So I, I, there you I, go. I, I feel your pain. <laughs> I think we've reached the point where it's uh, the final thoughts on the pack. Yeah. Um, um, very well, little. <laughs> it was certainly... An episode. I think it sparked some nice discussion between y'all. Uh, y'all meaning all of us. But yeah, no, I mean, I remember it being a lot more dramatic than it is. It's really kind of an episode. Yeah, I, I actually expected it to be much less pleasant, or, or rather, more unpleasant mm-hmm. when yeah, I when I no. going in. And then I was like, eh. Yeah. There's a lot of silent in it i noticed that that Mm. there's a lot of scenes where it's just the pack walking and just staring intensely and sniffing oh i wonder if that's because this episode is kind of underwritten yeah yeah and what is written i mean mm. i have a note here like this episode is about as subtle as a mallet yeah it's it's yeah (laughs) hey it's still better than teacher's pet Because this is what the marker, this is the, you know, litmus test for me, for Andy, is, is it better than Teacher's Pet? I'm going to go with yes. Yeah, I think right now that's my litmus. Yep. It's like, yep. the Teacher's Pet is the worst. But this mm-hmm. point, I'm trying to think what I think the best is at this point. So far? Yeah. Oh, um. I mean, I guess it's only been a couple of episodes, but... The witch? I think, yeah, if you're not including yeah. the pilot. Yeah, I was thinking either the pilot or the witch. That's Yeah, I'd probably yeah, the pi- go Yeah, the, the pilot or the witch, yeah. I mean, the witch is a fun episode, too. It's just, mm-hmm. it's a lot of fun. So yeah. up to this point, you know. I mean, a couple episodes from now, we'll start to get into some 
episodes that I think are a lot better. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Certainly, you know, Angel's next, so that'll be... Yeah. Oh, yeah, we're we're definitely getting into a good one. Yeah. And that just, not just good, but but solid and, and important. Oh, yeah, no, it, it's it's a major key into the Buffyverse, absolutely. It pretty much informs everything going ahead, so I'm looking forward to doing that one. So am I. So uh, we will be reviewing Angel next time. So I think until then, grr, arg. Grr, arg. Grr, arg. We'd like to thank everyone who downloaded the podcast and an extra special thanks to everyone who shared, liked, and subscribed on social media. Over on Facebook, Don asked us to share our unofficial Buffy soundtrack which would be awesome to do. When I get some free time, I'll make up a Spotify playlist. If you'd like your questions or comments read on the show, you can contact us on our website, returntothehellmouth.com, on YouTube at Return to the Hellmouth, on Tumblr and Facebook at Return to the Hellmouth, on Twitter at HellmouthReturn, or on email at returntothehellmouth at gmail.com. We'll be sure to read your comments on the show. Be sure to rate our show at iTunes and Stitcher. Last week, I posted a defense of Joss Whedon on my YouTube show, Fandom Equals Square MC. Be sure to check that out, as well as my other videos. See you on Tuesday for Angel. Grr. Arg.